Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Matt Smith, who writes on entrepreneurship, finance, philosophy, and has been producing video interviews with the legendary speculator, his mentor, Doug Casey. They have both escaped to Doug's ranch in South America in the hopes of surviving the Great Reset. Buenas tardes, Matt. Uh, how is Uruguay? Well, it's great so far. I mean, we're heading into the high season here where, um, you know, in the before times, as Doug would say, uh, this area, Punta del Este, is probably the hottest place in the Southern Hemisphere uh, coming up in the next couple of months. But it's been on lockdown for the last couple of years. And so it's, you know, Connie's been kind of choked here. But it's clear it's opened up this year. And I think you see this kind of trend in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, it's like ease off the pressure a little bit, let the population take a breather. Uh, that's what's and that's happening here right now. And, um, you know, I, so I expect it's actually going to be a, a blowout summer in, in Punta del Este. I think it's going to be, um, you know, people imagining, I guess we're back to the before times in a way. So I think part of the reason that I like what was interested in coming down to Uruguay actually was because I figured you basically the some of the Southern Hemisphere was clearly going to be opening up in the summer months. And I thought I figured you basically could extend about four or maybe five months to kind of the general timetable of where this global phenomenon seems to be moving. And it seemed like that four or five months could make a big difference. Yeah. It's kind of like, like buying time and the same reason I came to, to, to Mexico. And I, I guess before getting to my first question, you know, I've been following Doug Casey, like many people for, for years, reading his stuff, international uh, man. And then I think recently he started a YouTube channel or maybe you started it for him. And then you created a telegram channel. And I, I really love the, you know, the, the takes, the interviews you do, the conversations with, with Doug and, and you started posting some short clips, which were also very useful uh, and interesting about some of the stuff that, that you're doing. So maybe if you want, just, you know, t tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, where you're coming from. Sure. Sure. Uh, just, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started a lot of different businesses over my life. Um, you know, currently, uh, well, actually, I don't even sure if I really want to mention my, my business, but um, I still I have a couple of interests in some businesses still. But I'm I'm basically retired from them. I'm, I don't have any day to day involvement in any of that. And you know, as all this, as uh, you know, the COVID hysteria was ramping up, um, I was trying to think of something constructive I could do. And I was having, uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to be around Doug a lot over the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. And we've, and every time I would meet with him, you know, I'd always like write down a bunch of questions and I would just sit there and I would spend like four or five hours asking him, you know, about everything, about everything. And I learned quite a bit doing it. So I thought, and I thought, you know, there's so many, part of it is I think that a lot of the voices that are out there now are just, they're grifters of some kind, or they have something they're trying to sell. And I thought, you know, if, Someone, a voice like Doug, who really does, he has not like he doesn't, he doesn't need anything. He has nothing to gain. He just says, and he says what he thinks. He couldn't help it. He, he would, he's always has done that. Um, I thought that people might benefit from it. So we just started doing these conversations, especially when we we're, everyone was sort of isolated. I think it was good for him to have this like daily thing that was happening. And it was certainly good for me. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's still very small YouTube channels got 20,000 subscribers and, you know, and, uh, but we've met some great people from it. And like, I was introduced to you, to your videos from one of our, one of our viewers who, you know, saw it and shared it with me on Telegram. So I think it's, it's been fun, but I have to say, honestly, I'm not sure how much longer it's worth doing any of it. I think it's about time to stop it all. I hate to say it, but I really do think so. Well, why do you um, think so? Like, it's going to be difficult to can you continue doing or... 
I think it's the, I mean, you know, we don't, it's not a business for us. We don't, we, nothing's monetized. We're not trying to make any money on it. And, uh, and, uh, so we don't, and we don't, we don't need it for that reason or uh, that doesn't matter at all. But the, the cost of the risks of it, I think are growing as things get sort of the news tightens globally. I just don't know. I'm not sure if it's worth it. I'm just not sure it's worth it. It becomes a higher risk thing. And I have to be more concerned about, you know, you, who's around you. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, the work, the, the body of work that I have, it's already out there. So if at some point they're going to like clamp down, I'm already profiled, you know, as uh, nonconformist yeah. uh, dissident. So there's nothing, I might as well just <laughs> double down. And uh, yeah, and we, we've interviewed some of the same people as well. I think you've talked to Paul Rosenberg and John Perkins. Although, you, rec- uh, you recently interviewed yeah. John per- Perkins. I interviewed him like, seven years ago or something with with my students really wow yeah so some of the same yeah, paul folks. rosenberg i i love paul rosenberg and if and if you're not a, if you if you like doug casey and appreciate the work that we do on our youtube channel people should use that like a sense of gratitude they get from us doing for free and go and buy paul rosenberg's newsletter <laughs> go subscribe to his newsletter because he's 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 been so ahead of how things might unfold. I don't know if he's come to the same dark conclusions that I might have about what's happening, but he's certainly from a solution standpoint, he's just, he's way ahead. He's way ahead of thinking it through properly. I think so. I love Paul. Yeah. His newsletter Freeman's uh, perspective, although he's much more optimistic than me when I spoke with him, I'm more like of a pessimist, the way things are going and that we're, we're really going to be living through like 1930s and 1940s. And he was way more optimistic and uh, w- which is good. And so um, I guess we can start with like the, the, the big, um, you know, the, the, your big picture, you know, for, from listening to your talks with Doug, I gather that you both really have an uh, acute, sober, and intuitive understanding of of the nature of what's going on. You know, COVID nineteen eighty four, the Great Reset, whatever you want to call it. Could you kind of give us your version? You know, your understanding and explanation of you know what in the world we're going through right now, and 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 uh, as well, maybe mention some of the the your peers, uh, people in your network. You know, are, are they agreeing with you? Do do they think it's worse, or are they more optimistic? Well, this is a tough one, but I think I think the most the conclusions you draw about what exactly is going on is probably less important because in the end it's just about details and maybe motivations. I think it's less important than um, the process by which you try to make sense of what's actually happening. And I think I think so you can have a different slant on uh, where it goes, but I think that how do you determine what's happening? So, um, so you know, first. You know, you see this the weird. Uh, so I'm a pattern matching person. You know, I look for patterns. So anything that's outside of a pattern, I like. It, just like I, you know, we we're talking earlier. You notice this, you know, uh, coronavirus thing coming out of China. You know, saw so it's like it, it didn't fit the pattern. So it, you, your attention was drawn to it right away. Same thing for me in January. I was talking to people about it and telling my family like, this is could be serious. Whatever's coming, I don't understand it. And then you know, when I got to Italy, when it got to Italy, um, you know, you're, I'm like. This is ne- I've never seen this in my life. I've never this has no historical precedent. I don't know what's happening, but this is very unusual. And I remember going into my kids' private school, and it was in the U.S. And I said, I said the school's going to close. Like it's going to close. And, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" And four weeks later, schools were closed. All the schools were closed. And um, but you could just see the pattern. The pattern was odd. And but I was duped by it. I was totally duped. 
And I don't remember that ever. I'm not that smart, but I am a good at pattern matching. And so I, like, it seemed to me, I don't remember being that fooled by anything. You know, I'm kind of, maybe I'm kind of cynical or I don't know, but I don't remember being that fooled, but I really fooled me. It really did. And so, so I, uh, you know, by May, I remember uh, I was on a, on a walk with my girlfriend and I said, man, when people find out what's going on, they're going to be really pissed because this is all like nothing, like this is nothing. And, um, but in fact, I guess people just, uh, you know, they'll never find out like they're just going to go along with it. They're just going to believe it's real. So what's actually happening. I, I think, uh, you can see a globally coordinated effort if you, and that's, I think one of the key aspects of it, because, which means it's not natural. If it were natural, it couldn't possibly be that coordinated. Like Singapore's view on the world is fundamentally different than, you know, than Argentina's. So why are they using essentially the same approach to solving a particular problem? They have totally different economic, you know, drivers. They have, I mean, their motivations as countries, like their cultures are different, everything's different. And yet fundamentally they're doing the same damn thing. Like that doesn't, and that's everywhere. Lithuania, same thing everywhere. So, so it's globally coordinated. And if you know that, then you go, okay, well then it's not just some accident of fate. You know, this isn't the market working. This isn't free. Uh, it's not happening freely. So, so then the, the, for me, the biggest question would be like, well, um, then if it's controlled, meaning somebody is doing this intentionally or a lot of people or whatever, it's being done intentionally, then why would they do it? It defies all rationality. Like, why would they do it? And I struggled with this question like the whole summer 2020. I was thinking about this question and I could come up with one of two reasons. And so that was my hypothesis. And I've been basically trying to disprove those two things for a year and a half. And I cannot do it. I don't know which one it is. And I don't think it matters. The one was that there's some really evil people that want to kill everybody. And like, that seems so simplistic of a so simplistic. Okay. Just, but they're just evil They're I don't know what it is, but they're evil and they want to kill everybody. Or there is some uh, world destroying event that's coming that is so bad that it is that that the people who are in charge have decided to take a series of very drastic actions in an, in an order to do what they believe is good to preserve humanity, and in the process of doing that, they're engaging in all kinds of acts of evil. So, I think that it's one of those two, and I don't know which one it is, but. Because you imagine if it's the the more generous hypothesis would be that, you know, there's something bad happening and they really are doing what they think is good. Okay. I think Mao did what he thought was good too in the Great Leap Forward, but whatever. Um, so let's say that that's what it is. Then you can imagine if there's just I, the way I described it first to my friend, I said, like, the only thing I think of is maybe there's like an asteroid coming that we don't know about. Because like, it's something so bad. And I don't think that's it, by the way, but something like that. And they think... Um, Listen, if we tell people about it, like there's no chance of us keeping any sem- like the knowledge of man, it's all going to be destroyed. Like, who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be totally out of our hands. We can't tell them. We can't tell them. And then they wait for a while and then it gets closer. And they, and they say, if we tell them now, they're going to be like, why didn't you tell us before? And they're going to kill us all then. So, so you can understand the rationality, I think, behind why they have to keep it a secret if it were something like that, some like really terrible event that humanity was, that we're going to have to deal with what was inescapable. So, Anyway, those are my two. It's one of those two things. It's one of those two things. And, uh, and when you realize it's one of, when you, when you believe, as I do, it's one of those two things, then it's much easier to see what's coming 
than to instead get caught up in the propaganda campaign, which is about uh, whatever shiny object they want to draw your attention in today. And that could be, you know, these things. And I think people don't understand how these things really work. How like humans are so it's kind of embarrassing, embarrassingly predictable. Um, I mean, humans are extremely easy to manipulate. And um, I mean, you think of these things like uh, people, people are looking at the hypocrisy of, you know, of the people in charge, not wearing masks and, you know, and then having the plebs wear the masks around them or Fauci saying they don't work and then triple masking. It's like, no, this is all done totally on purpose because it, because it creates this. And if you're a thinking person, it's hard for you to for that to be in your face and you not be to respond and be in an emotionally charged way. And what that does is it binds you then it binds your thinking and gets you absorbed in this uh, on a topic that is totally irrelevant. I, I like think it, it demoralizes uh, people. And I just want to go back to what you were saying about the people being evil or preparing for, uh, you know, cat catastrophic events. I tend towards the, the first, but I also think there could be elements of both. And even the second I've interviewed St Steve St. Angelo, who talks about the energy cliff, like, so, yeah, I, I don't believe in, in the theory of man-made global warming, but, uh, you know, m maybe there is some truth to there not being, uh, enough energy. Um, although I still, I still think there's, there's more that, that, than they, they portray the, you know, I think we have more oil that, than they tell us. Uh, but that would be an example. Like maybe we're going off the energy cliff and so we won't be able to maintain this standard uh, of living. But what you just mentioned as well, we have a lot of people now, and I was talking to you about this, that they're trying to rationally, rationally argue with people. Oh, the PC that we have studies that say masks don't work and PCR tests don't work and all of this stuff. And it's like, as, as you're saying, we already know that those are like the details we're, we're way past that now you know the train is on its way to 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 auschwitz and you know this was kind of my my next question you know how bad you think things are uh, and will get you know just yesterday i read i just this is happening every week now like i, I literally like are i'm pulling out what's what little hair i have left that the, <laughs> the cia globalist uh, governor of my state um in Me mexico here He's a total globalist. I know he's working. I found the official documents. You know, he's he's implementing the Rockefeller Foundation projects here, and he just said they're going to be considering requiring vaccine certificates in order to enter the state. Uh, and so I think that's the same proposal that Canada and, and the U.S. has floated under Biden. I think Canada is actually going to start implementing that. The U.S. Uh, isn't there yet. They, they propose interstate uh, vaccine passport rules uh, and. And so I'm wondering if that means if I leave my state in Mexico, will I be able to return to my own freaking home? Uh, so it's getting crazy. And you know, I, I'm preparing for like a dark future. And I know, as we mentioned, some people are optimistic things are going to turn around, but I kind of see some sort of repeat or rhyme of the 1930s and 40s. And it's interesting. I've seen a photo with you and Doug hanging out with Robert Kiyosaki, you know, rich dad, uh, poor dad. And Kiyosaki's tweets lately have been basically saying, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. And America is going, you know, full commie totalitarian. The economy is going to collapse. And so um, yep. putting that aside, what you were saying is like, yeah, we're Mass, that's the whole purpose. Uh, it's this demoralization psychological uh, operation they have. Well, so, well, okay. So I definitely think it's going to get far worse than it is, than it has been. It's going to get much worse. Okay. So I definitely agree. It's going to get a lot worse. I really think that's, it seems obvious that that's going to happen. It's going to get a lot worse. The nature of that worse is hard to know though. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, 
it seems to me that the, the clear thing, the clear trend is they're trying to restrict the movement of people. Like that is, that's clear. It's been clear for a long time. I mean, um, it's been clear for at least a year that like ultimately that that's the direction it's going to. It's also been clear if you've been paying attention that this whole, that the, you know, the vaccines are not about vaccines are about like this digital ID. I mean, it's clearly about that, you know, and I, I, I was hoping that the vaccines would be totally benign, you know, meaning that they're just, it would have no effect on people. I think that's proving not to be the case, but, um, but I think it's going to get a lot worse. And I think really the important thing is, is like, you can imagine, you can basically, you can scare yourself to death really with what's, what's potentially coming. And I think that, uh, I think that most people, it's such a dark hole. They don't even want to look at that way. And I don't blame them. You know, and I, because if it just, it just seems like all bad and people, I, I mean, I've, I've heard people in our telegram channel, even saying things like, man, I just, you know, I just, you know, I wish I was alive a long time ago, or I'm glad I'm, you know, older and I'm not going to have to deal with this stuff. And I'm like, like, fuck that. Like, fuck that. That's a, like, this is a psychological war. They won. That's it. This is exactly what they want you to think. They want you to think, oh, the future is so like, it can't, it won't work. It's uh, and it's. That's that's what the, the primary front of the battle is psychological. It's psychological. And uh, we, we talked before we got started that my, my girlfriend had to go back to the U.S. because of a family um, health emergency. And, um, you know, they had new rules for entering the U.S. yesterday. And so it's always a little bit of a cluster on uh, new days, you know, and when they change the rules. Um, but she, you know, you had to, uh, they changed it. So you have to get a test the same day of travel. Like you have to get it if you're unvaxxed. You, day of travel, but they allow you to get antigen tests now instead of just the PCR, which is better. But um, no one checked hers. No one checked anything. So she flew, you know, from Uruguay to Panama to Miami uh, and no one even checked it. And so, and I think so, but, but there, but you would think that everything is totally locked down and that unless you, you couldn't go to the U S unless you were vaxxed, and yet that's not true. Not yesterday. Maybe it will be later. Maybe something will be forcing at some point, but the thing, they don't have to enforce it because what people don't understand about all law and order in the world is it's all voluntary compliance. It always has been voluntary compliance. And so all you have to do is get the compliance voluntarily from people by regulating what they're thinking about and you get the same result. Rather than, I mean, it's much easier to do. And then for the things that where the enforcement is required, you know, the, the governments around the world, basically you have to all deputized uh, our fellow citizens to enforce it on us. Now, often it's employees and businesses or whatever, but, you know, in the, you know, if, even, I mean, they aren't, they aren't uh, border guards checking this. It's the, you know, it's the airline employees who check it. You know, it's the, when you go into a restaurant, it's the mask employees that tell you to put your mask on. I mean, it's, it's not new government officials. I don't see any enforcement by police or anyone like that. So it's amazing how they've gotten us to, They've co-opted us to <laughs> imprison ourselves, you know, our psychologically and then our neighbors, because, you know, we believe that they need to be controlled in some way. So anyway, I do think things are going to get a lot worse, a lot worse. And I think that the important thing, the thing that I'm starting to worry about with people actually, is that I think that people recognize the problem. They're feeling some despair about it, real mm -hmm. despair. When they, if you start to imagine, you can kind of glance over at that dark hole by you about what the future could look like. And it just makes people get full of despair. And um, that's totally unproductive. And it actually is uh, essentially, it, the, I wouldn't say it's quitting, 
uh, you know, the, in a war, like, and just uh, abandoning the field so much, it's, but it, because the, that is the goal of the war is actually to get you to roll over. And, and I think that, so, so it's, it's a problem for that, but why psychologically can't people get over that? Why is it that people are, you know, they, the only choice is this despair there's, you know, and they aren't even testing the boundaries of the rules that supposedly exist. This is just, just, just a mentor. This is kind of my point. And a lot of people get me wrong where it's like, I focus a lot of tension on this dark hole, as you put it. And my point is like, yeah. we first need to understand the reality of, of this. And I, I don't, yes. and my, my point is not to get stuck there. It's like, this is the key to understand really how dark things are. And now what? Like, I don't have the answers. And I tell people, I'm like, look what's going on. They're going to lock us down here in Jalisco in the state. And they're like, well, yeah, and what? And I'm like, I don't have the answer, but we need to start talking about like what we're going to do. Yeah. And it's like, people don't right. want to talk about it. They're like, stop it, stop it. It's, it's, it's too much. And I'm like, I don't have the answers, but this is bad. And we need to start talking about this. You know, what are we going to do? And that's kind of like, I think what, what, what you're discussing now. Yeah, it's exactly, that's, ex that's exactly it. And the thing is, is that um, the reason is, uh, the reason it's so difficult to start talking about solutions because people go, well, what's the solution? What's the solution? And uh, there actually, there are, there are legitimate solutions. Actually they are, they don't involve like, you know, political action or they don't involve fighting. They don't involve any of that. I don't, in my opinion, they don't involve any of that. None of that will work. It won't make any difference. I'm the universe, but there are things you can do. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I think the reason I couldn't see anything, but this dark hole and feel despair myself until I, accepted what was happening and now i don't know exactly what's like i said i i have a vague these two vague ideas the root causes okay two vague ideas beyond that it's a rabbit hole of bad stuff that actually is uh also creates more despair it's just even go down that road and you understand like it like i did look for evil and i found evil and it was i don't i don't want anything to do with it you know so i i looked there and i don't like that's not healthy to do that and it doesn't matter beyond knowing what the motivations of of the people or whatever what's happening right now so so i but once you can accept that you go okay now if that's true then all the things that i've been doing my whole life really everything i've been doing uh has been been is basically does it is sort of totally irrelevant at this point you know the goals i had in 2019 the you know, the, the dreams I had, the, the fears that I had, the, the, you know, whatever the, it's all gone. And as soon as you could, sorry, as soon as you could realize that, I think as soon as it really, sorry, I'm a sentence here. As soon as you could realize that, as soon as I realized that I could start to actually plan to do something productive, but it wasn't until that point. I mean, um, so, and I don't, and I think there's just some psychological block that, that people have with it, because if you're holding on, to like, but I want to be able to, you know, go to, you know, I want to, but we're planning to go to Europe next year or whatever the, that, or, you know, my kids were getting into this certain school. If you are holding on to those things, then all you can see is despair. So you, until you can turn the page and say, okay, well, this is the, well, this is like those assumptions have to reset. And now how do I do something good? And if, and if you think about it, the way I try to think about it is, uh, there are, we have three basic things we can do as solutions. And these are, these are, I'm not saying any of them are good and they're not specific really, but they're, but the general principles at work. One is that you can comply. You can comply. And I think most people will end up doing that. They'll end up complying. 
And uh, I think that's a mistake, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I think life is, it's a difficult world right now. And people are going to, you know, it's people are going to make that decision. And I, you know, I don't condemn them for it. Honestly, I, I wish they didn't, but they will. So the second one is that you can, you can, you ha- the only way you can not comply is you have to remove yourself from the system. So basically it's a, almost a bunker mentality in a way. Like I have, what's my, you know, what's my prep stuff like? Do I have, you know, I know I'm not going to be able to go to the doctor. I know I'm not going to be able to do, you know, have these base, basic access to services. I'm just going to be shut out of them completely. So do I have enough stuff and do I know enough people maybe around me that I can, you know, I have to accept that I'm just going, that life is different and I'm going to have to figure out a way on my own. And, um, and that's not ideal, obviously, but I mean, at least, but if you know that, if that's a choice you make, then you could, there are things you can do now to make that a lot easier in three months or six months or nine months from now when you might really need it. But by denying basically that you're trying to hold on to the old world, then it's impossible to do those things. I think the third way is the, is the optimistic way. And what's the third way? So the third way, and that's what I'm trying to do. Um, the third way is try and be very thoughtful in, uh, increasing your the odds that you have by by being in a certain like if you're in australia you know you can get out now i would i would leave i don't know if you know that yet but you probably should go um where i mean but if i guess if you don't have i mean maybe maybe some people that might be their best option still they don't have any other place to go but uh if you have choices about where you can go and you have resources in those places and you have things that you can plug into, or you have, um, then, then you can maybe make better choices. Like let's say you're in the U S and you're in a, a major urban environment, for instance. Well, that's a huge mistake. You have to get out of there because you have to get, well, we can talk about the reasons of that, but most people know that I think at this point, um, Uruguay is like us coming to Uruguay is like getting out of New York. is the way I look at it now. Now, will it be different in Uruguay? Ultimately, I don't think so. I don't think it'll be any different. Will it be better? I do think so. So, can it be? Can it not be different but be better? Yes, I think it can. So, like you get, it can be the same everywhere in the U.S., but not as bad as it was in L.A. right now, right? So that's the my way of thinking about. It. And in that effort, going back to Paul Rosenberg, who we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, Paul is a big advocate of building what he calls parallel societies. Now, a parallel society is not like going Amish, although that could be a part of it. It is, but it's basically having agreements, relationships with people where you can get goods and services that you need and contribute goods and services to others that need them. That's outside of the, out of the um, deep personal or impersonal uh, exchanges that we have now. Like what people don't understand, it wasn't always... We didn't always have to go. We didn't always go to Walmart to get everything we needed. You know, I mean, we didn't always just go to one place where you could easily be cut out of stuff. We didn't, but, but that is the way it is now. I mean, I had, I had a doctor over at my house the other night. So I, and I, I made an arrangement with him to hire him privately outside of the whole system. And, you know, he's so and, and I'm like, yeah, I want, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Here's, I, I don't need anything now. But I want to make sure I want to have a relationship with you. I want, uh, you know, I had this with a concierge doctor in the U.S. So I just want it here too. And so, you know, and I, um, we make a financial arrangement that is great for his family. And also it's good for me. And that relationship exists well in advance of me needing it. And then I, if my son breaks his arm, I don't have to worry about not being able to get medical care for some reason in the future. So it's like planting those seeds early, building relationships and trying to build 
a way to get access to the things you're really going to need when when the worst might come. Um, and what what's the point of? I mean, you can't avoid the worst coming. I think is the is the important thing. So what you want? Um, how do I say this? The only way, though, that you can actually, I thought for me, the only way that I could uh, justify continuing to strive, though, is if I was actually trying to to live, not survive, like trying to create an environment where I can do something where I felt found, uh, where I felt like I was actually living, not getting in a bunker. Like I could just that idea couldn't doesn't work for me. So how can I create an environment that's good for my children? How can I make sure that you know? Um, you know, I can still have rich, engaging relationships, you know, how can I make sure that I'm doing work that I find somewhat fulfilling? Because um, with that, what's, without that, what's the point? Despair will win if you're not doing something like that. So anyway, those are my, th- I think the only three options. And if you, so if you believe why this is happening is those two things, and you come to the same conclusion I did that these are really the only three options, then you can start taking action today to make whichever one of those is sounds like possible for you. You could, start doing it, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And and I think you and I are on the same page and I have a very, you know, studying history and, you know, uh, growing up in the shadow of the Yugoslav war. um, And I just have a military approach to to, to thinking. And when I was in Kazakhstan, like, as I said, I I interviewed Boyle in January of 2020. I like, I, I knew what was going on. And in March of 2020, my, my family and I were supposed to leave uh, Kazakhstan and come to Mexico it was a tri- trip planned before uh, the, the fake pandemic. And uh, <laughs> uh, my job said, if I leave, uh, I, they will fire me. So I had to stay. And anyways, everything got shut down. We couldn't leave the borders, the planes, everything was canceled. But at the, and we, were pl- we, were, we had the plan to go. I was going to go live in Croatia on a little villa on the sea and enjoy Croatian wine and, and Rakia and Shlivovica and prosciutto and living the life in, in, in my home, Croatia. And it's like, as you said, it's like, I came to the hard conclusion, realization of what's really going on. Uh, that's not going to cut it. I'm going to have to give up that dream, you know, c- c- cut and run, give up that dream of, of Croatia and come to, uh, you know, head on down to Mexico. Um, and that's what we did. And it turned out to be the right choice. I just read yesterday that Croatia is going to be introducing these digital passes. Now they're going to be limiting gatherings. Uh, and they said by 20, so next year in Croatia, all, uh, it, citizens who need uh, services from public institutions will need to have the digital certificate and proof of vaccination, not even negative tests anymore. So if, if I'm living there and I need to get like a driver's license, I don't know, or renew something, I can't do it. And it's like, you know, this is just as I foresaw. Uh, and then just kind of my, my, my question um, on the parallel structures. So I know you said you went down to Uruguay for the summer, you know, advancing, you know, four five, six months buying time, how bad, I mean, if this keeps going, you know, if this turns into years, I mean, what are you planning or, or, or Doug or others? Like, I mean, is that in the back of your mind? Like if this just keeps going and, yeah. and just deepening, like, are you going to just stay there in Uruguay, go somewhere else? And yeah. Well, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to that because I want to point out that when you're talking about the uh, the, the the passport, the digital passport that Croatia is going to, you know, you have to have the vaccine, not even testing will work. This is a perfect example of the essentially the straw man arguments that are created that draw people in that uh, that basically keep you from seeing the bigger picture. Because, you know, the, something is introduced that has a semblance of, of uh, reasonableness or has a back door or has some way, some workaround. 
And, you know, you go, uh, well, so you, so you don't end up opposing the vaccine passport at all. You oppose the idea that it doesn't include natural immunity. Like you end up going, well, how can you say natural? Like they, they don't, they specifically don't include natural immunity because it's such a, because it, it makes people insane because everyone knows natural immunity is better. Everyone knows it. And so they go, yeah, but, but, you know, and then some places they compromise and they do start including it, but only if you've had a positive PCR test. So the U.S., they say that you can't have natural immunity as part of it, but they've just held that out there and it makes people crazy. And most of the, most of the opposition to this stuff is focused on what about natural immunity? What about natural immunity? And they're like, it's like the, the, my whole point is that it draws these things. This is an irrelevant debate debate. Like it doesn't matter. It's just designed to suck the energy out of the room and keep you from focusing on what's obviously happening, the bigger issue. So don't don't fight against vaccine passports. Just be upset that the testing regime is expensive. You know, well, they paid for the test before, but now they don't like who cares? That's not the point. So anyway, um, yes, I expect things to continue. I expect this is going to continue for a while. Honestly, I don't how long. I don't know. But I think it does seem to me that this is a. Um, years thing for sure. It seems it seems like it's years. Uh, I don't know what it looks like on the other side of it, but it seems like it's years. So you need, if you believe in that parallel society thing, and you believe you need to be able to set up an alternative structure, well, you have to make sure that you have the your basic needs met. Uh, you know, what are the basic needs? Well, food is a big one. So why do I? One of the reasons why I like Uruguay is because tiny little country, three and a half million people, they produce enough food for fifty million. 50 million. So that seems like that's better. It's also a, you know, it's not the same sort of, there are huge farms here, but there's a lot of little farms, like lots of people do small scale farming. So that makes it so that it's not as centralized. It's harder to cut off. There's fewer choke points there. Um, you know, people are trying to cut off your access to food essentially. So you have to be able to produce your own food or get access to food. That's really important. So we're working on plans to make sure both of those things are in place. Um, I was, and I say we, I mean, you know, Doug's got a ranch here and he's, you know, his, you think he's, he thinks his needs are met, but I'm working, to, I'm looking to build something else, you know, something different. That's more, more diverse sort of, uh, yeah, something that's a little bit more diverse in terms of his food production, but the, uh, uh, but yeah, I expect at this point, I think this is the place. I think this is better than other places. Um, I think it's almost everyone forgets about it. I mean, Mexico has been like the place where Americans go, Hey, this is the place to come, come here. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me nervous. Um, I don't see how, I mean, my argument with Mexico really is fundamentally is that if you see an economic crisis coming, which I don't know how that cannot happen. Uh, the Mexican economy is so dependent upon the U S economy that I don't know. I just think that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, difficulty there as an offshoot of that. And then when you have that kind of difficulty, uh, then you know it's you can have the chaos that can run through a population when as things fall apart. I think people just are totally unaware of how bad things can get and how they can get bad really fast. And in densely populated places, especially where you have people who are desperate, it can get bad fast. And cultures that don't mind a lot of violence, frankly. Yeah, and I would add again, uh, Mexico. I mean, I'm I'm here just because you know I I've been here for I, I'm a Mexican <laughs> citizen, yeah. so I, this is just where I I, I am. But um, one of the downsides is as you as you said, besides the integration of the economy, the North American Union. It's not a conspiracy theory, you know. I I I had the last interview with the father of the North American Union, who passed away in 2014. I interviewed him December of 2013. Robert Pastor, Council on Foreign Relations, and there were like one or two white papers that just were published this year 
discussing North American, like from academic elite think tanks discussing. Really? And, and even AMLO came out a few months ago saying, we need to integrate Canada, USA, and Mexico using the EU model, which I was saying literally 10 years ago, and people were calling me crazy. Here's the president saying it now. And, the, and, and kind of what you're saying where I give the example here now, they're starting to implement the same COVID policies as Canada and US. So Mexico, is that, that's part of that whole North American, same economic, uh, same political uh, policies, you know, a- energy policies. So that's all going to, you know, come together, Canada, USA, and Mexico. So, and, and uh, Uruguay w- would have been one of my second options. Because again, as you mentioned before, I, I know someone in Uruguay, uh, I speak Spanish. And so uh, if I wasn't in Mexico, I would have gone, looked into going into Uruguay as, as well. As you mentioned, the, the agriculture, it's less violent, the smaller, um, smaller uh, population. And so uh, I just a had a lot of land. The land to people ratio is pretty high. And, and, and just on parallel structures, though, do you think looking forward, do you think there will be any limit to um, the parallel structure? So, for example, where I am, um, we have also kind of maybe not as good as in Uruguay, you know, small farms and stuff. But um, a lot of the places where people go are the Walmarts and, and these other big supermarkets. And there are smaller shops. But uh, and to an extent, we can set up these parallel structures. You know, I've already, I've already started, uh, you know, we've started groups with other people for, for barter and stuff. So we've, we've already like planted those seeds, as you mentioned, like I'm already in, in, in channels with people who will exchange services and goods. And, but will there be a limit? Like, what if they turn off your bank account, right? What if we go to a cashless society? What if they put in all these, like, a lot of these control systems. Some people are saying, you know, they, they want to get rid of gas, co- gas-powered cars, and you, you'll be left with like that's the extreme version, just public transport. But um, ha- have you thought about that? Like, it, is the, what limit there is to the parallel uh, society? Yeah, I, I mean, well, so the limit. Most people think of the limits of the parallel society. I think based upon people who agree with you on on what's going on and have basically share the same ideology with you, right? They, they, they limit it to that. And I think that's a, one of the key mistakes that people make with it, because I mean, how are you going to find, you know, I mean, a hundred people who can provide the various services you need that are going to agree with you on everything. And that's certainly this position that I, you know, that I hired does not, we don't agree on everything. And I don't think we have to, I think as long as I can add value to his family in some way, and we have a level of trust between us that's established before life is really hard, and our arrangement is private between us and no one knows, then I think that, uh, you know, you can, you can still make it work. You can still make it work because people who you have a, an exist, I mean, this is, this is how culture is built around these economic relationships you have with people. And the reason why our the world, I think, is so starved of culture now is actually because we have added these, these nameless intermediaries between all, every kind of transaction that exists in the world. Like even, you know, so like, I mean, imagine in the days of bartering, which is totally inefficient and awful in a hundred, you know, different ways, but, you know, you'd have to, I mean, you would have to, the level of relationship you'd have to have the per- with the person that you're bartering with, it, you know, would be very high because there's, you know, you're not, you don't even know what they're, if they're trading you for it, if it really is what they say it is. And so trust factor between people has to be higher, but now we live in a trustless society, a trustless society. No one trusts anybody. There's no, uh, there, there are no economic there's no economic justification for people to trust each other. And that without that, then you know, economic ties are what everything else is built on. Then 
you know, everything else, it's so easy to tear it down. So I think that you have to work on building those relationships and trust, like showing up for people. Like uh, if you have access to capital today, which I think is, you know, I'm, I feel I lucky, I'm lucky in that I do have access to capital, but I do, but I also have this idea that I don't think it's going to be worth much for long. And so just like I turned the page on my, um, you know, my goals and my hopes or whatever in 2019, being able to say, okay, so, you know, I have, I worked my ass off my whole life and I've accumulated a little bit of capital, but it's probably not going to be worth anything at some point. Now, whether that it's not worth anything because I get shut out of it or because I, uh, because it just inflated away, I don't know, but I, I mean, I have to accept the possibility that's true. So what can I do? What should I do with that capital today so that I have the things I'm going to need in the future and that I'm going to want in the future. And so I, then I'm trying to deploy the capital in that way, but I think, yeah, you, you're going to be, and this is why you don't want to really be confrontational with, uh, you want to exist a parallel society. Often it does not, it doesn't exist apart from things. It exists quietly by and integrates with that. And I think that you, when you, if you see, especially that the most things are still based upon voluntary compliance, voluntary compliance is how things are done. It's mostly a psychological battle. I believe that that fundamental trend will, will continue. And so if that's, if that's the fundamental trend, then you don't have to assume, uh, I mean, even the idea of people saying, oh yeah, they're going to come door to door and they're going to force vaccinate you. Like that, that's one of these things. Again, if people are like, hell no, they're not. And it gets people all wound up. It's like, listen, they don't have to do any of that. And you do, people just line up. Like they don't even have to, they just, they just, people just, they just have to get drive people to the point of despair and they go, well, I have no choice. So I'm going to go with option one. I'm going to comply. And why would you assume that's not going to be the case going forward? You know, because it works so well. It really does work well. And we were talking about, well, you said, well, will it get kinetic? Like, will it get to the point where you actually, you know, they really are sending people to concentration camps. And I said, if it gets to that point, people will voluntarily go. They will go. They won't have to drag most of them there. They'll stand in line and they'll go because the real battle is the psychological one. Just a quick question. And you mentioned the, the capital and, you know, they might shut off your account or, you know, it, uh, the fiat money system will, will die. And I was listening to Gerald Salente yesterday, who I think you've interviewed with Doug, and I've interviewed yeah. him a few times back in the years. And he was talking about, you know, gold, silver and 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 Bitcoin. Just just a, a key thought, like if where would you want to go? I'm, I'm guessing you want to go to real things with real worth, like land and, and, and gold and silver and tools and, and food and vehicles or yep. things, things like this. No. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 that's actual capital. I mean, you know, people are, for some reason, you know, we, we, we chase these, uh, we think of having a lot of money in the bank as being capital, but that's not capital. It's a depreciating asset uh, uh, that is, that can't be put to work effectively anywhere because you can't get any interest or anything and the money's being inflated away. So to me, I definitely think it makes sense to buy productive assets. Yeah. We're looking at farms here that have uh, produced diverse crops and don't require the fertilizer inputs, all the expensive inputs to do commercial level production, but, uh, you know, are still, you know, produce a lot of food. So we're looking at stuff like that. And I think that's a far better use of money, far better use of money. And, and again, um, just to add uh, to that, the, in this new normal economy, so we're seeing in, in physical spaces, you know, the traditional type of jobs, corporate or education or, you know, retail, like um, where I used to work, which is, I, I don't live far from it, the top university school, uh, the MIT of Mexico. I had one former colleague uh, who refused to be injected. 
uh, and she's my neighbor. Uh, and after 20 plus years, she was fired from the job. Uh, um, and so I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't go back uh, to teach there, to work there. So you're seeing a lot of like, like traditional job opportunities not available uh, anymore. I'm kind of of the idea, the trend is, as you were saying, the pattern that a lot of the online space for, for some of us, like I'm, I'm doing the podcast and others are doing other things, but it's, it's a good, good to look uh, online as ways for ways to make money. What are your thoughts like in terms of in this situation we're in, uh, how to generate wealth, how, how to survive in that sense, you know, getting an income? You know, it's very tough to actually, it's really tough to understand what, what, because the, the thing about the internet stuff is it can all be regulated so easily. I mean, the gatekeepers on, on the internet are, it's funny, it, like it used to be the opposite of this, but the gatekeepers are tremendous. Uh, you know, I mean, you, I mean, I know you've been the the victim of some of these, uh, some of these things that have been done before, uh, and, they, you know, but, and it goes all the way to the point where the first time I ever saw them close someone's bank account, you go, all right, there really are no limits to what you can, you know, to what can be done. And everyone will agree that people will cheer it on when they do it, when they cut you out of the banking system. Um, so I think that there's, there are a lot of opportunities to do stuff like that, but I, I just, what I, I do wonder about the sustainability of any of it, you know? And I think the biggest thing that you have to, you have to, if you don't have capital today, I think uh, it's very tough to say what you should do, honestly. I mean, I really don't know the answer. I really don't. Um, I think that I think that the most important form of capital of the next decade, though, is going to be about great relationships with people that are in your physical proximity that you can trust and rely on, and that you guys are working collaboratively on stuff. I think that you know we've been atomized as you know as uh, individuals, you know, and just kind of scattered to the to the winds. And I think that that and it's it's been it's worked, you know, for in a lot of ways. It's worked in the old world, but it will not work very well in the new world where. You just don't know who you can trust. And I think, I think I, one of the disturbing things I saw last year that really worried me was, you know, the neighbor conflict, you know, just seeing neighbors turning on each other, you know, or just reporting each other and the government saying, you know, snitches get riches or something like that, you know, like the kind of stuff. It's like, holy crap. Um, that was the first sign that they're just going to use us to, to police us. And that's very worrisome. So I think having people around you, you can trust who are, capable people who can do stuff is really important. I think people, I think, you know, doing what, what you're doing, I mean, I, I think is really important. I think it's really important, but you know, how it's, they've, they've already limited your ability to make money doing it in a number of ways, and that's going to continue. And I, so I think you have to expect it if you anticipate it and you can stay ahead of it and use the capital you have today, they to have, you know, to be able to get the things you need. I think you can definitely make it work, but the whole, it's like, this is an outlast game. It's an outlast and don't lose and don't despair. Like that's the key. That's the key. Yeah, you, you've exactly kind of summarized my situation. It's a real battle doing what I'm what I'm doing, and I'm putting in capital now. I'll be redoing the website and stuff like this, and to try precisely to try to stay ahead and utilize these alternative systems that will allow me to keep uh, to stay afloat, even if they you know shut my uh, bank account. So I, and I'm having fun. For me, it's kind of like it's it's. <laughs> It's fun. Like you're, you're like in the movie, right? You're like, you're like uh, Mel Gibson and Braveheart. You're fighting and you're yeah. failing and succeeding. And you, you, so far, I'm succeeding. And so it's just like you can look at it that way. It's, 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 it's like a game. It's, it's fun. And you know, I can't do anything else. I can't shut up. I gotta keep telling, you know, looking for the truth. And just, just for the people, some of the people that send me emails uh, every week. You know, I, I'm, I'm getting people from Canada, America, Europe, Australia. I had some, someone in rural Canada 
saying that they, you know, they, they, they many years ago built out a homestead for themselves in rural Canada, but they still have some day jobs and they will lose those for not being vaccinated. And they were looking like to expatriate into, for example, just different places. But they were asking me about Russia because I've been to Russia. I'm a Slav. And I, I tell people kind of what you say. The key now is network and, and community. Because, for example, if you're Canadian and you want to go to Russia, for example, I, I'm a Slav. I speak Croatian. Um, that's already 50% like Russian. Like I can already understand, you know, half of Russian. So I, I, and I've lived in Mongolia and Kazakhstan, so I can fit in there. I speak Spanish. I I can fit in the Americas, but if you're someone who just wants to go to Russia, that's going to be tough. You don't know anyone. The language is like the Martian for you. Um, and you don't know. So you might be actually better off in, in, in rural Canada and, 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 um, getting together with some of your like-minded folks. No. I agree a hundred percent with that. And I think that that's, that's, and I think there's one of the old world or the, you know, the before times notions was this idea that you could just go somewhere else. If there was trouble, you know, you could just go to another place, but there is no other place. There isn't another place that will, will be different. There are places that will be better, but there is no place that will be different. I definitely believe that, but that place that will be better. It could be, as you said, a rural homestead, it could just be you know, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't like people thinking about red state, blue state. I think all that stuff's nonsense too. I mean, I really do. So you have to be, you have to be very careful, but the most important thing is being around people that you can trust, that you can rely on, you know, and that, and that you collectively or together, you know, you, you can do something for them and they can do something for you. And you guys have a mutual agreement to kind of have each other's back. And I don't even mean, I'm not meaning from a defense standpoint, I'm just meaning like, Hey, you know, um, if there's something I can do to help you, let me know. Like, just like what people, this was, they called this being neighborly, you know, that's, that's what it was called before, but now uh, it's, we're just so isolated from our neighbors. Even we don't know them. They don't know us and they perceive anyone they don't know as an enemy. It just is a very, it's a volatile situation. One thing I tell everybody, if wherever you, if you, wherever you think you're going to be during the next phase of whatever's happening, you know, you need to get to know the people around you and you need to, you need to go and try and not not in a confrontational way you don't you don't want them to know what you think you don't need to know what they think but you want them to see you as a human you want them to see you as a human and how and so you need to know them and you need to try and build some sort of a collaborative relationship with them now like right now and so some people a lot of i talked to some one of our, our viewers about this not long ago he's like you know we've got a pretty good setup here but you know i don't really i don't really know any of the neighbors i'm like why don't you know I've been here? I've been here for a year and I've, I think I've met one of them, but you know, kind of there's some distance between us. I said, you should just like, you know, write them all a letter, you know, with some pictures of your family and say, you know, I've, I had to introduce myself, but I want you to know who I am. And this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. And if there's, if I can ever help you with something, you'll let me know. And by the way, you know, we're going to plan in a barbecue at our place and, you know, a, a month from now, and we'd love to have you over just to like start that dialogue. So just to humanize yourself among your neighbors. Because if you're just that guy over the hill that I don't know, you know, you're at great risk, actually, because people will turn on each other when stuff gets hard. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, post that you made. I don't remember if it was a video or I think it was a, a video. And uh, yeah, the, the, I, I recall you saying that. And I'm trying to do that now. I'm telling my wife, hey, we're starting to meet our, our neighbors. I'm saying, hey, go invite this person because she's more social. I'm like, hey, let's uh, invite them over. We'll order pizzas or barbecue or something and get, get to know them. Um, are, are there any, I mean, what other thoughts are there for you in, in these times? Yep. Any other issues? 
Yeah, it's so. Um, so, no, no other really thoughts or anything. I just um, the biggest thing I would I hope to convey, and what else when I, when we decided to talk was for people to understand that there is hope, but there's only hope if you turn the page. You have to turn the page, and you have to look and say, okay, well now what can I do that's good? What can I do? What can I do to create something useful? And I think when you do that, like like the options will open up for you. And you'll start considering doing things you would never do before, like like going and meeting your neighbors or writing them a letter or going to, you know, and those things will be productive and will be useful and will have a positive impact on stuff. But you got to turn the page. And by the way, if we're wrong, you can always go back. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not crossing any bridge too far. We're just doing things that actually make, uh, encourage us to engage in more wholesome activities right now to make the world right around us better. And I think that's there's there's no way that could go wrong. It seems like it makes sense. More resilience makes sense. And better to err on the side of of caution, as you say. If, if all this falls apart, we'll just go back. And if not, uh, if you haven't prepared at all for any of this, you're kind of screwed. Um, and for those of us that have prepared to some extent, we're less screwed. I you know, it's not like we're going to be saved. But that's kind of my whole point in, in talking about all of this is taking some of these steps now to make life less worse when all of these things um, come in. So it's like, I, if I know they're going to shut off my bank account at some point and I don't do anything, that's stupid. But if I take steps now, you know, then life will be a bit uh, easier. And, and as we talked about before, I'm not all about, about looking into that dark hole pit and just standing there. It's like you have to realize how bad things are and can potentially get. Step one and step two. Now let's start preparing for it. And a lot of people cannot yep. get beyond that. Right. But and the, the reason though, they, I just want to say one last thing. The reason why they cannot get beyond that is because just surviving is not enough of an incentive for people to, to, to face it harshly. Like you have to sometimes, I mean, a lot of people in the before times I know felt like they didn't feel that great about the way, like they felt the the world was uh, lacking meaning anyway, you know, that they were engaging a lot of superficial activities and it wasn't really it, people. There was a deep sense of empty. The reason we're here today is because there was already a deep sense of emptiness among most people. Like we, we couldn't have gotten here if people actually, you know, if there, if that didn't exist already, if that precondition didn't exist. So if you if you can recognize that, recognize that like nobody was really that happy before. I mean, your average person was all kind of all kinds of problems. Most people are on some sort of drugs, and you know they're whatever. The, people's lives are disasters. Then, uh, you know, maybe this is the opportunity. If you can look at this as an opportunity, and I don't want to say Klaus Schwab here, okay? Because I don't mean like when his opportunity, but like as an opportunity to actually create a life that actually has far deeper meaning for you, far deeper than what you had before. And far deeper than what you can have by just trying merely to eke out an existence and to avoid pain and suffering and just survive and, and make it through, then I think that it's easier to face that abyss, you know, because maybe you needed to see the abyss to get off your ass and do the thing you should be doing, which is engaging with people in a real way now, because you hadn't been doing it the last decade. You know, I know I'd had enough success that I could float above the surface of almost everything. And that, there's nothing in that. There's nothing in that. And would I've ever got, would I've ever said, uh, you know, abandon it? No, I don't think I would have, even though I knew I should have, because it was just too easy and it was good and it was a, a success by every measure. So why wouldn't I? But this forces me to do it. And I think that's good. I would add too, even if that means in this new situation, 
making less money, but doing um, maybe making enough now, making less, but making enough, but having more time and doing what you really want to do. Kind of like what, what I'm doing with my uh, podcast. That, that's more meaningful than being stuck in some job uh, that you don't like and you're being bossed around. And especially with all these requirements coming in, have you, are you up to date with your 10th booster shot, you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And so, um, it's ridiculous. so, uh, you have, um, there's Doug Casey's takes, I think YouTube channel, but, tele telegram yeah. and, and your Substack. Uh, is there any other website that we should know about? No, I mean, Doug has a, you know, international man, which he's a partner in and he contributes to, um, other than that, I, yeah, I just say, go subscribe to Paul Rosenberg's newsletter. I don't get paid anything for it, but you should, it's good for you. He is optimistic and I'm not as optimistic as he is, but it's healthy to read it. And he has solutions. I'll have to get him on uh, again soon, I guess. So anyways, yeah, I love your chats with Doug. Uh, everyone should check him out uh, as well. And, um, I guess we'll see who does better. In the Great Reset, Uruguay uh, or Mexico, may the odds be ever in your favor. And uh, thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's fun. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com. And I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else. Subscribe to all our platforms and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.